Welcome back to Deep Dive in this two-part look at the long road to the Olympic Games. We finished episode one with Prime Minister Shinzo Abe shooting out of a pipe in Rio, dressed as Mario at the closing ceremony of those Olympic Games. And that is the Prime Minister of Japan <laughs> turning into Super Mario. He's got no time to... Tokyo had won the bid in 2013 and was largely on track for 2020 despite some setbacks. And there in Rio, Tokyo put on a fabulous show, a preview of what we could expect at the Games in 2020 but it was not to go to plan. On today's episode, we look at how the Olympics has gone awry, as scandals, heat, and a pandemic has brought the Games to its knees. Patrick St. Michel, welcome back to the show. That handover ceremony took place four years before the Tokyo Olympics was due to begin. Where do we go next in our Olympic story? Perfect timing. We've just emerged from the rainy season. And here in Tokyo, at least, it's the first truly oppressively hot day of the summer. I see that you've unbuttoned your top two buttons, a nice little mane of chest hair. <laughs> uh, fans of the podcast, you imagine it, it's as magnificent as you think. <laughs> but it's necessary, too, because of the intense heat and humidity that a Tokyo summer brings, especially in our rapidly changing world where climate crisis is afoot. So we're talking about heat. And at the beginning of episode one, you mentioned that the Tokyo Games back in 1964 had actually been held in the autumn because yeah. back then they acknowledged how ludicrously hot Japan summers can be. So this but, wasn't a surprise. <laughs> but this time round, there was no shift to autumn, mainly due to TV scheduling, I think. And the issue of heat then becomes the main concern with the Tokyo Olympics, especially as we move into 2017 and 2018 with the release of the proposed marathon course. I would go as far as to say until the pandemic, this issue was the single biggest concern. Organizers sprayed artificial snow at volunteers during an Olympic test event in Tokyo today. The goal? To see if it could lower temperature and humidity levels expected during next year's Olympic and Paralympic Games. To set the scene a little bit, temperatures have been going up in Japan over the past decade, with summers getting progressively hotter. I want to say in 2018, the hottest recorded temperature was like recorded in the country. I remember that being a big deal somewhere in Saitama. Yeah, there was a day where a record temperature was set and that was right. 41.1 degrees Celsius. So this is the backdrop where people start getting worried about not only athletes having to compete in this weather, it's also concerns about the spectators who have to sort of be out in this brutal conditions. This is also a time when there are a lot of, you know, uh, heat-related deaths being recorded in the country. So this gets a dialogue going. In particular, it initially, I think, falls around the idea of the aforementioned marathon. There were so many moving parts to it. But then it sort of became, oh, what if we just start the race earlier? What if we start the race before the sun comes out? So they're suddenly kind of going to like, what if we started at 3 a.m.? Uh, they eventually settle on moving the marathon out of Tokyo entirely, which is not great for the Tokyo Olympics. Well, this was the sticking point here as well, because I think at that time there were discussions between the IOC and the Japan Olympic Committee and the Tokyo Olympic Committee. And it got to October 2019 after we'd had all these proposals of the marathon being moved early into the morning. And there was this famous race, a women's marathon race in Doha, where the heat was of similar levels to what would be expected for a Tokyo summer. 
and the heat there was so intense that I think about 40 of the competitors actually didn't manage to finish the race. And so following this race, the IOC basically unilaterally announced that the Tokyo Marathon would be moved to Sapporo. In sports news, it's official. The marathon and the race walking events at the 2020 Olympics will be held in Sapporo. Tokyo's governor has reluctantly given in to a decision of the International Olympic Committee. The IOC abruptly announced last month that the events would be moved from the Japanese capital due to heat concerns. As you mentioned, until COVID-19 came along, this was the biggest concern about having the Tokyo Olympics in the summer was just how horrendously warm it would be and, and the danger that posed to fans. But it's something that's really disappeared in the discourse now. It's interesting to look at where we're at now and just where, you know, the conversation around the Tokyo Olympics, because I would have guessed in 2018, 2019, that these games would have ended up being the first Olympics of a climate change era. In some alternate timeline, it would have been kind of like, oh, do we have to rethink the Olympics? Because clearly the world as we know it is changing on the climate front. And like, this isn't sustainable as it is now. To some degree, I think it's kind of a lost opportunity for that conversation to happen. It's just become so focused on the pandemic, which is fair and understandable. But like, this is an issue that's going to last even longer. You're totally right. And if we look at who will be hosting the next two Summer Olympics, uh, Paris in 2024 and Los Angeles in 2028, both of those cities are similarly suffering record heat events. So heat was one issue being discussed and there were all sorts of countermeasures being proposed. But during this time, another scandal was also emerging, centering around corruption allegations in the bidding process for the 2020 Games. Japan's Olympic Committee has denied all allegations of corruption after reports that he was placed under formal investigation by authorities here in France. In a statement, Sunokazu Takeda says he hasn't been charged and that no improper actions such as bribery took place in connection to Tokyo's successful bid for the 2020 Games. This corruption scandal had been going on since 2016 when French prosecutors said they were inspecting more than 200 million yen, which is approximately $2 million, of payments made by the Tokyo Olympic bidding team to a consulting firm based in Singapore in the lead-up to the city being selected as host in 2013. These payments had been signed off by the president of the Japan Olympic Committee, a man called Tsunekazu Takeda, and Takeda at the time said he'd done nothing wrong. But the allegations resurfaced in 2019, with about 18 months to go until the start of the Games. First off, the Olympics tend to always be embroiled in some sort of scandal of this type. Like, you can go through the history of the games. You'll always find some shady stuff going on in the background, as is the case with most of these global events. One thing to keep in mind with this, this had been known in, like, 2016, you know, murmurings of this. But it becomes more of a pronounced problem in 2018 and 2019, and that's reflecting the growing... Discontent is maybe too strong, but the growing sort of like frustration with certain elements of the Tokyo Olympics. Mm -hmm. And the issue became much more public in January of 2019 when Takeda confirmed that he'd been placed under formal investigation by French authorities and that they were questioning him about the payments that had been made and whether they'd gone on to influence votes for the Olympic bid. Takeda eventually announced his resignation from the Japan Olympic Committee and the 
International Olympic Committee in March 2019. And so we ended up in this position where with a little over a year to go until the Games, the Japan Olympic Committee had to find a new president to lead it. New stadium, new logo, new president. That's a trifecta right there. Yeah, by this point, things are becoming more rocky, but it is important to note a lot is going right in 2019. People were still pretty excited for the 2020 Olympics at this point. The Games had amassed a record-breaking amount of domestic sponsorship, like over $3 billion U.S. dollars by 2019. But also, you were seeing things like lots of people wanting to volunteer to the point where like it easily surpassed their initial target of both people within the country and who were willing to come to Japan to take part of this. And then, of course, there was the ticket lottery. Oscar, did you take part in the ticket lottery? I actually forgot to take part in the oh, ticket lottery. Oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it completely went over my head. And despite reading headlines in the Japan Times, every time a ticket lottery would be announced, I managed to completely fail in doing that. Which, in hindsight, I don't really mind. because. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny to look back on that because... First off, just for context, um, I was really bad at applying too. I only applied. And this is maybe the dumbest thing I could have possibly done. I was like, I'm only going to go for one event, and that's gold medal basketball. So I was destined to lose. But I do remember like talking with Japanese friends and like the people who did get tickets for things, how excited they mm. were. There was a real like enthusiasm. Well, totally. And, you know, it was all done by lottery and these lotteries were massively oversubscribed. And I think they had about 8 million people just domestically who'd registered for those lotteries for tickets, which is, you know, there were a lot, there were a lot of, there were a lot of people who were just left very upset by the fact that they hadn't been given tickets and by the fact that the one kind of openly, easily watchable event, which is meant to be the marathon, had been moved away from Tokyo yeah, to yeah, yeah. Sapporo, despite That's it being the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. But despite, you know, even though a lot of people didn't get tickets, uh, the national mood for it was still pretty high. There was an NHK survey conducted in the summer of 2019 that showed that 89% of people um, had a favorable view of the Olympics being hosted in Tokyo. But we also had another marquee event go down that showed what was possible. And whereas you forgot to get your Olympic tickets, you did have an active participation in this one. You make it sound like I played in the Rugby World Cup, but no, I did manage Oscar to go and see. Oscar got England to the finals, guys. <laughs> Remember his heroics? No, I managed to see the uh, several games of the Rugby World Cup in 2019, including the final, which was absolutely amazing. England playing South Africa. But the, the overwhelming memory of the Rugby World Cup was just how well hosted it was in Japan. And I just remember how exciting Tokyo felt as a city with all these uh, international spectators coming into the city, all the Japanese fans who were hyped up for a game they'd never watched before. Yeah, people across the city were absolutely amped for the Rugby World Cup. Coming out of that, it felt like Tokyo 2020 was going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah, it felt even like it could be even grander than that. And this was such a feel-good moment for everybody. Like, even people who were kind of cynical about the Olympics, they were kind of like, yeah, that went pretty pretty well. You know, 2020 is going to be great. We'll be back after this short break. 
At the very end of 2019, we heard the first reports of COVID-19 and the first confirmed case in Japan was recorded on January 16th, 2020. Initially, everything Olympics related continued to go full steam ahead. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was bullishly saying that the Olympic schedule would be in no way impacted by this new emerging virus and that it was unthinkable that the Games might ever be postponed or cancelled. Yeah, over the first two months of 2020, it definitely, you would hear more speculation, especially from media, both in Japan and outside of the country, kind of wondering, oh, if this really got worse, would this impact the Olympics? And it's important to remember, over the first two months, everyone kind of only saw this as an Asia problem. Um, This was when... Obviously, China was going through it, and then South Korea was going through its big outbreak at the start of February. And then Japan had the Diamond Princess cruise ship debacle in early February, which I think did raise some questions about how well Japan could handle hosting the Olympics during the pandemic. So right now, we are uh, quarantined to our rooms. Uh, We haven't been allowed to leave uh, for about uh, just over 24 hours now since they announced the the quarantine. Nevertheless, things continued on. You start getting a few people saying like, oh, I don't think you can do this in Asia this year. And then everything shifts at the end of February for Japan. That is when cases start creeping up and up and up. Shinzo Abe announces that school will be sort of stopped until for the rest of the that year, until the spring, I believe. And you start seeing events in the country being canceled. Lots of concerts and live get-togethers are suddenly postponing or canceling outright. And then the situation deteriorates around the world. Yes, suddenly we start seeing pictures from around the world of cities and countries being overwhelmed by the virus. And I think at that point, there was a real shift in the way the Olympics was being spoken about. At the start of the pandemic, the discussion was about, is Japan a safe place to do the Olympics? But then it became a discussion about, does Japan want to invite the world here, considering the size and scale of the outbreaks around the world? You also had athletes and sporting federations saying that the games would be too dangerous to hold this year. And eventually the pressure became too great. On March 24th, 2020, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe came to an agreement with the IOC president, Thomas Bach, that the games would be postponed to no later than 2021. Uh, 同意するという答えをいただきました This is obviously a huge this sends ripples across sports through business through everything I mean cuz suddenly you know everything that had been pointed towards this moment for July 2020 you know you just elbow it into the year 2021 it's kind of like oh well this changes everything The postponement was announced on March 24th and then I think the new dates were announced later that same month, later in March, for the rescheduled games. It was confirmed that they were due to start this year, 2021, on July 23rd. But it just became immediately clear how big and how difficult the task of effectively reorganising the entire Olympics would be. Delaying everything by a year, even if the exact same venues are used and programmes are used, it threw up all sorts of problems because a lot of those venues had been promised 
to other people and other purposes post the Olympics. And for example, the Athletes' Village was due to originally be turned into condominiums for people in Tokyo to buy starting in 2021. And suddenly they had to delay all of that just so that the Athletes' Village could still be used for the Olympics come 2021. By summer of 2020, it was estimated that the additional cost from delaying it by one year had risen to about 3 billion US dollars. Um, on top of the 12 billion or so that they'd already spent on organizing the Olympics for 2020. Helping to make this become the most expensive Olympics in history, not something you would have expected when they dubbed it a compact Olympics back in the day. Yes, at this point it was anything but compact. The delay to 2021 put an end to the dreams of many athletes who had hoped to compete at the 2020 Games. But it also quashed Abe's dream of becoming the Olympic Prime Minister, and he actually ended up announcing his intent to resign in August 2020, shortly after the Games should have finished if they'd gone ahead as scheduled. He was replaced by Yoshihide Suga in September of 2020, and he's resolutely stood by the Olympics ever since. Then all sorts of people kind of came out of the woodwork to declare their support for the Olympics happening in 2021. But I think at this point, the enthusiasm amongst the Japanese public had really begun to wane. It starts when, you know, we get John Coates, a senior IOC official. He says, quote, the Tokyo Olympics will take place with or without COVID. So that's a very declarative statement, um, despite things still being quite unsettled at this point. There were no vaccines on the horizon. You know, numbers were down in Japan at the time, but we were also seeing that waves were possible. Yes, John Coates made those comments in September of 2020, and almost immediately afterwards, the then Olympic minister, Seiko Hashimoto, said that she believed the postponed Tokyo Games should be held in 2021 at, quote, any cost, which I think fed into a growing perception that the Olympics were taking priority over the health of the Japanese people. This sentiment grew further throughout the end of 2020 and into early 2021, as we had medical staff saying that hosting this large international event would place massive strain on the healthcare system in Japan and take away resources that were necessary to deal with the pandemic and the vaccine rollout to come. And to kind of continue down that optics path of just how bad this sort of determined we have to hold this attitude was... You know, throughout 2020, one of the big stories in the non-Japanese resident community here in Japan was just the fact so many people couldn't get back into Japan, despite, you know, being a resident, being a permanent resident even. So when you have this this message being sent that, you know, athletes are going to get let in, we're going to let everyone into the country for the Olympics, which is obviously more important than your life. your daily existence here that doesn't look too great exactly it stokes the idea that it's one rule for the olympics and another set of rules for the rest of japan Mm, exactly and then we move into 2021 and the dominoes really start to fall in february of 2021 yoshiro mori president of the tokyo olympic committee makes his sexist comments and is forced to resign after public outrage Uh, 
Then in March, Hiroshi Sasaki, the creative chief of the opening ceremony, resigns for suggesting that Naomi Watanabe, a really popular female comedian, should dress up as a pig for the opening ceremony and give an Olympic performance, which just kind of makes you want to tear your hair out. I feel like this is the moment the public is lost because it's important to note Sasaki was brought on to the creative team in 2020 as a result of the pandemic. Before that, the team had been established and it was mostly people who had taken part in the 2016 handover ceremony, the much ballyhooed and celebrated uh, thing that got people excited. Up until that point, this original team had submitted their plan for the opening ceremony to the IOC. That was spearheaded by uh, Mikiko Mizuno, better known as just Mikiko, a very famous choreographer and creative here in Japan. And the IOC loved it. Like they thought it was a knockout kind of continuing on in the lineage of that 2016 handover ceremony. But when Sasaki is brought on board, he basically ices her out to kind of bring in his own people. And it results in basically a case of power harassment where she eventually resigns as the weekly tabloid who also broke the Olympics story reported, Shukam Bunshun. She resigns. Her idea is scrapped. And when this becomes public knowledge, I think a lot of people were just like, yeah, we're done with this. Like, you guys botched this so badly. We're out. And that wasn't even the end of the woes for the Olympic ceremony Earlier this week, we saw scandal around another member of the opening ceremony team, composer Kego Oyomada, a.k.a. Cornelius, who resigned after an article in which he boasted about basically torturing disabled students when he was in high school re-emerged. And if that wasn't bad enough, yesterday, a day before the opening ceremony, Kentaro Kobayashi, director of the Olympics opening ceremony, was removed from his post following news reports about him making Holocaust jokes in a comedy skit back in the late 1990s. Hopping back to spring, though, while committee members seemed intent on shooting themselves in the feet multiple times, the virus continued to spread at pace. Large swaths of the country were basically flip-flopping in and out of states of emergency as new waves crashed upon the shores of Japan. Did you see the, uh, there's like that, somebody did it, the calendar for this year, where it's like marking out how long we've been in a state of emergency. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. we've been in a state of emergency most of the year. Yeah, except <laughs> wild. For, yeah, more state of emergency than not. Obviously, the Delta variant sprung into existence. We saw India succumb to the virus and have huge numbers of cases there. And the vaccine rollout for most of the last few months has been incredibly slow here in Japan. And so, you know, we mentioned earlier that a year before the Olympics were due to start in the summer of 2019, NHK had this poll showing that 89% of people had a favourable or very favourable view towards hosting the Olympics in 2020 come spring slash early summer this year the public opinion hit rock bottom and depending on the poll you look at and the question that's being asked um, at various points during the last few months up to 80 percent of the japanese public have been against hosting the olympics this summer Um, and this has led to you know calls for cancellation from a huge number of people. In May, there was a change.org petition demanding cancellation, which gathered 450,000 signatures. Same month, you had the CEO of Rakuten, Hiroshi Mikitani, saying that it would be a suicide mission for the country to host the Olympic Games in 2021. I call it, this is like a suicide mission, (laughs) to be very honest. Uh, And we should stop. Uh, I'm trying to convince them, but not successful so far. The Asahi Shimbun, who 
were a major sponsor, who are a major sponsor of the games, came out with an editorial that said that Prime Minister Suga should calmly and objectively assess the situation and decide on the cancellation of the event this summer. And so you just see this cascading series of calls for the Olympics to be cancelled. And even beyond these direct calls for the games to be cancelled, you're also seeing more people, I should say, more companies and more advertisers kind of distancing themselves from this event. You're seeing a lot of sponsorship stuff kind of get pushed into the corners because a lot of people don't want to be associated with this anymore. Right. And this week, with just days to go to the games, we've seen a number of high-profile executives from companies like Toyota, NTT Docomo, and Panasonic say that they won't be attending the opening ceremony, really distancing themselves from these Olympics even sponsors that haven't publicly distanced themselves seem to have taken a step away from these games. And I think that really plays out in what the city Tokyo feels like right now. There's just very little sense that these games are actually happening. Yeah, at this point, it's mostly if they have something that has an Olympic logo on it, it'll be out in the world, but they're not trumpeting the fact they have that. Um, really, the only Renmin at this point is like, I don't know if they have it in your neighborhood, but like on the light poles, there's still all the Tokyo 2020 flags. Yes. Like that's the only reminder at this point. Just sometimes sadly gusting in the wind or today just sitting there probably soaked in <laughs> getting damaged by the sun environment sweat <laughs> but yeah it is wild to just see like this truly has no enthusiasm right now and still the games are pressing forward right we're yeah it's about to start when you're hearing this yeah And I think the last remaining hope that this would resemble anything like a normal Olympics at all was dashed earlier this month Mm -hmm. when Tokyo entered its fourth state of emergency. Organisers of the Tokyo Olympics have announced a total ban on spectators in the stadiums. It follows the declaration of a new state of emergency in Tokyo because of increasing numbers of coronavirus cases. So that was announced on July the 8th and implemented on July the 12th. It's going to run all the way through the Olympics to August 22nd. Preceding this, we already knew that international spectators would be banned. That ban came in force on March 20th um, of this year. But there was still a lot of discussion about domestic spectators at least being able to watch the games. There was even discussion at some point that they would be able to bring in their own alcohol, which uh, I think a lot of people reacted very negatively to as well, considering that restaurants and bars had been banned from selling alcohol under the state of emergency. But yeah, with the implementation of the latest state of emergency came the announcement as well that the what had been always called an unthinkable option of holding an Olympics behind closed doors had in fact been taken and this year's Olympics will have athletes, will have journalists, some of them will have, you know, probably a few members of the IOC, but otherwise will be in completely empty stadiums. And just to really underline it, the opening ceremony, which is one of the most hyped up Uh, events of the Olympic calendar, it will have less than a thousand people in attendance, which makes it still one of the most highly attended things, this, this Olympics. But, you know, yeah, there'll be a thousand people in this new stadium that went through its own saga. It's just strange. And honestly, it's just, it just sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's where we are now, despite all the opposition over the last year and a bit, despite the ongoing spread of the virus, despite the recent clusters attributed to the Games, athletes and some of its workers, all the other setbacks we've talked about during this podcast, the Olympic opening ceremony is going to be held tonight. 
We don't know the exact details of it, but we do know that it's going to be pared back. And the unfortunate reality, the sad reality of these games is that I think over the next three weeks, we could see some amazing sports happen at the Olympics. I think there will be those moments. The Olympics and all the sports that comes with it is an amazing product in its best version. But whatever the best version is, is really going to only be a pale comparison of what people hoped it would be. Taken away from the sort of the context of athletics, of sports, which also is a total bummer on its own, but what this could have been for Japan, which was kind of moving towards like this moment to sort of celebrate itself, its status in the world in 2020, um, that's been taken away both because of global situation and just kind of how everything slipped away. And I think you touched on it earlier. It's really just the total loss of enthusiasm from all corners. It's just, it feels like at this point, it's something everybody just kind of wants to get through. And it's really a bummer after the past decade of what this was supposed to be, a recovery Olympics, a sort of re-emergence. And just as we saw with the Rugby World Cup, a really good global get-together. Thank you so very much for listening to this episode and thanks to Patrick St. Michel for joining me to tell this story. Patrick and I will both be part of the Japan Times live blog team who will be covering the opening ceremony tonight as well as the next few weeks of the games. See the show notes for more information. That's it for this week's episode. I hope to be bringing you more episodes soon. Until next time, as always, Podskare-sama. Podskare-sama.